Excuse me, but are you loving this podcast? If you are, you can support the show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. All you have to do is hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or Sleepnumber.com. Excuse me, I have something to say. This is the podcast where we have real and open conversations about life and everything it throws our way. I'm your host, Sean Philip Naylor, and you can join me each episode as I talk with inspiring people who also have something to say. You can also join in on the conversations by contacting me directly through the show's official social channels, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at excuse me underscore pod, Facebook and YouTube search excuse me, I have something to say, or visit our official website, excuse me, I have something to say.com. As always, all links are embedded into the show notes for you. And don't forget to click on that subscribe button. And if you're listening through Apple podcasts, remember you can rate and review the show there. Hi guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in once again and a big welcome and merry, merry Christmas to anyone tuning in for the first time today. Well, it is December and I promised you all some festive content and like Santa, I delivered just in time for Christmas. This week, I've invited back the always charming and always engaging Rochelle Lindquist to help me explore the history and the origins of Christmas as we know it. And guess what? It's not as wholesome or as religious as you might think. From the origins of the humble Christmas tree and why we hang baubles on it, to the rambunctious festivities and traditions of Christmas's past, we've got you covered. So join Rochelle and I now as we unwrap the history of Christmas for you. Hi, Rochelle. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Sean. Thank you for having me back on. Super psyched to be here. Love Christmas. Big Christmas fan. Big Christmas fan here also. Also, let's just note that just feels like you were here with us just last week. It does feel that way, doesn't it? That's because I was. I have strung <laughs> on my way into two, count them, two episodes for December. So, I mean, am I your co-host now? Is that the future of Excuse Me? I don't know. Maybe it, it is. Definitely my December co-host and I'm into that. I, I I love that for us. I also love that we're both mm. drinking because it's not a Christmas episode if you're not drinking something. No mulled wine or whatever here. It's just seltzers and wine. 
it's a festive white for me um, this Christmas, Sean, but perhaps I will get myself a lovely bowl, a wassailing bowl in the future. We'll see. (laughs) Don't worry, dear listeners, this will all make sense. So (laughs) (laughs) obviously we are delving into the history of Christmas. You have been uh, a fan favourite for the listeners for a long time now, pretty much since I'm going to say your first episode, but mainly when we delved into the history of Halloween, which was so much fun. But now we're going to, yeah, we've got you back for another history lesson. Let's also just note that Michelle is not a historian. Actually, (laughs) I am. I am an art historian. (laughs) That that was what I studied at university. I am technically an art historian, but um, I don't work as an art historian, as anyone who listened to last week's episode knows. I make memes for the internet. (laughs) Don't downplay yourself. Your reels are are up there. I love it. Okay. So I'm going to hand over to you for the start of our Christmas history. And uh, please, Rochelle, tell me, when did did Christmas begin? I mean, that's that's a hard one to answer (laughs) because... (laughs) Are we are we talking like the Christian version of what Christmas became and what we now know it to be, which is, you know, the tree that comes inside, you decorate it, you celebrate the Christ's birth, but you also give gifts and have like a big feast and, you know, you carol and you have holly hanging up in the house and all that good stuff. Because if we're talking that, that is the culmination of, you know, at least three different holidays mashed together that only became the one holiday in all those traditions combined in about the 1840s. So prior to that, there was the kind of midwinter festivals and yule which happened in the norse tradition the yule tiding bring me the yule log yeah bring me that yule log that let's, sounds good let's throw so that mother actually, on fire let's talk about that mother for a minute there so the yule log was the norseman is that correct yes so i got a thing right uh, the Yule Log was the Norsemen's tradition and it was super cold, super chilly. So they would bring in a giant Yule Log and set fire to that mother and let it burn. Let it burn. Let they it actually, burn. It's really interesting because they actually dragged in the largest, like thickest trunk tree they could find. And that was the Yule Log. And then they stuck one end in the fireplace and the rest of the tree stuck out into the room. And they Seems lit like, that. Uh, and then they safety hazard. It. Yeah, it was very much a safety hazard, fire hazard. Like they did not care about that kind of stuff like that. So <laughs> the houses burn. were made of wood. Ah, danger. <laughs> I know. It was very dangerous. But they would burn it for, um, there are different traditions. Some said it was for 12 nights, and that's the 12 nights of Christmas, which stretches from the 21st, which is the actual kind of solstice, when you have the shortest day and the longest night through till New Year's. So that was the 12 nights that they had there. But some people said it burnt for 12 hours at a time. What they would basically do with that tradition of the Yule Log was they would continue to move the tree into the fireplace as it burnt down. And then what was left of the Yule Log was saved and it was put in a special place somewhere in the house. And the next year at Yule time, they started the fire with the remnants of the previous Yule log and then followed it through. So it was this continuous tradition of that burn that happened, you know, 
from one Yule log down to the next one year in, year out. They believe that the Yule log actually gave them divinations into the future. So every time there was like pop or a crackle or a spark that came off the Yule log, they thought that that, yeah, would be the birth of a little, you know, piglet or a little calf in the, the springtime. Because obviously, like you said, it was freezing cold. When we're not talking Australia weather for Christmas, we are talking midwinter in places where it snows and it is harsh and it is hard. And these traditions arose for a need to celebrate and look forward to the sunlight coming back. And that's why they harvested and killed like the cattle as well, because they couldn't support them through the whole winter. They'd have to feed them. They wouldn't get anything out of them. So they would kill them then. They would have meat for the winter and then they'd hang on to a couple, breed them for the next spring. So, yeah. There you go. The Yule, Yule tide brings you uh, a giant log and lots of dead cattle in the snow. Yeah. A lot of snow. Spike. A lot of Dumb it down, Sean. <laughs> Dumb it down. <laughs> Bringing it right down. Love that though. Love that. Now, place. when I was, I was watching, you sent me some really cool links to some YouTube videos and things about the history of, I keep wanting to say the history of Halloween. That was last year, the history of Christmas. <laughs> And one of the things that sort of, you know, I guess has in similar similarity with our Halloween special and ready, I'm going to alienate and upset a few people right here, right now, is that those bloody Christians came and took another holiday off of everyone. I know. Just like nicked it off. You know what happened is that they basically could not stamp out what Christmas was and Christmas as it's actually, you know, originated and came from before it became this family-friendly thing. It was Yule, it was Saturnalia, it was this massive cavorting, revelry, drinking, you know, gambling. It was my kind of Christmas. It was very un-Christmas. You would not think of like, we think of Christmas now being so kind of family-friendly and that is really something that's changed a lot from where it started. So we've spoken a little bit about Yule there and that obviously was the solstice and midwinter and Norse and Germanic. That's where our original Christmas trees came from because not only did they burn the log, but they brought in an evergreen and they decorated it because they were basically trying to entice the tree spirits back from the woods so that they would want to come back for spring and they would have an abundant sort of spring and they would overindulge, they would overeat, they'd overdrink because celebrating in this way was a way of honoring Odin, who was the kind of guy for that period and the the God. And it was a way to encourage abundance for their spring because they would be abundant in their winter to kind of forecast for an abundant spring. So fun fact as well, while we're just on it, and I just made the brief mention to Christianity sort of taking from the different festivals and celebrations to get to the Christmas that we know now know. So the Christmas tree comes from the Yule log and the Yule tree and they would hang. Did they hang anything on the Yule tree? So in the German tradition, which is where the tree came from, they had a kind of, I think there was a bastardization that happened when Christianity became more widespread in that part of Europe, where to try and work in the holiday, the Yule holiday with Christ- Christian Christmas they uh, started hanging apples from the tree. Which yes, is what we ended up apples was yeah. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve and the fruit. Yes, yep. that's how we ended up with baubles on trees. So that there you go, kids. Apple. Those beautiful shiny glass or so I guess sometimes plastic baubles that you have hanging off your Christmas tree. Don't eat those apples. <laughs> yeah, how do you like them apples, Christians? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, we just alienating everyone today. I mean, um, why the hell not? It's, it's the festive. It's the festive season. It's the time for forgiving. I, Forgive us, everyone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was Yule, and then at the same time in Rome, where it was a much milder season in the winter less snow, less of that harsh winter, they were still celebrating Saturnalia, which was the birth of the Saturn god, and it was the return of the sun. That was what they were looking forward to, and that took place from the 17th until the 23rd of December. So that was this kind of big public banquet. You would have gambling, drinking, revelry. You'd have a king of Saturnalia, which was very similar to what they had in Tudor England when they had the king of Misrule or the lord of Misrule. And they also had a children's holiday in that time, and that was called Juvenalia, which was for kids, and it was about giving them presents. But for the majority of the time, Saturnalia, again, was a big drunken festival, like very not Christmassy. I'm smiling. I'm like, yeah, yeah, my kind of Christmas again. Drunk, revelry, gambling, gifts. I'm into it. I mean, to be fair, that's not too dissimilar to my non-religious Christmas that I have every year. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's like that song. Funny. I think I told told you that I played the song into the house when there was a thing going on. But uh, it's that like that song that is um, Carly Rae Jespin. It's not Christmas till somebody cries. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So back on track. I've taken us off the beaten path. Let's uh, go back. So Saturnalia is celebrating Saturn. You've got the Yule, the Yule guys, and they like to uh, talk about Odin and all of their biz. Um, Yule. Yule. Interesting little fact about Odin too. Odin is a precursor for Father Christmas and Santa. So Odin's like the one with the million-legged, eight-legged horse, right? Through the night, yeah, eight-legged horse. Through the night he goes, like, riding on his eight-legged horse. And that was actually a procession of ghosts that he took through the night with him. And he rode during that period, that 12-day period of the Midwinter Festival. Just because he wanted to go go outside. Odin's just like, I'm taking my eight-legged ghost horse. Oh, because he was looking for who he was going (laughs) to, he was looking for who he was going to bless and who he was going to curse coming up to the, like, you know, the spring he would decide who's going to have good, you know, a good time in spring and who's going to really like be in trouble with dried up crops. So you, they thought if you went outside, you would wind up cursed by Odin. So, and so they were frightened of it. This is almost like a naughty and nice list. A little bit, yeah. There you go. You're on the naughty list. You, plague from both your houses. You, you can have some green fields. A plague upon your houses. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you can see how a lot of that, you know, those traditions and a lot of the storytelling made its way into what we would then have with the kind of mother figures that also played into Santa Claus. Not sure if I'm jumping ahead of your plan for the episode here. No, keep going. I was just laughing because we had a little bit of that lag and it just sped you up really fast and I'm not even going to edit it out. I'm going to keep it in because it sounded hilarious. You're like, that's fine. Oh, yeah. It's the end of the year, people. It's December. I've given up. (laughs) We're getting loose. We're getting (laughs) loose on this Christmas episode. I've had a whole glass of wine. Do you know what that means? That means I'm going to be very excited about my descriptions for the different Santa Clauses. So we've got Odin. We've talked about that guy. Norse dude, you know, Germanic people, we're talking wintry snow, we're talking blue robes, long grey beard, in the sky, on a processional with ghosts, and riding this eight-legged horse, which would later become your eight reindeer. So that was where the Norse tradition came in with that. And interestingly, this particular time period 
he was doing that ride partly to keep the the ghosts from kind of breaking over the barrier because that was a part of his job as well to monitor that and keep them from getting into this world. And this was a time of year that they believed that barrier was very thin. It was just after Halloween. It was dark all the time. They thought this is the time when deceased relatives can make their way across, you know, the the divide and basically be able to come back. So he was keeping them where they were meant to be, which was in the afterlife. And he was also deciding who's going to do well, who's naughty, who's nice, basically, like you said. So he was up to that. Then over in um, Turkey, they had St. Nicholas in the fourth century, and he was where we got the St. Nick from, and, you know, that kind of molded later to become a part of Santa Claus. But he was an actual dude. He was a priest and or a bishop, and he was this guy who was really into um, leaving presents for kids, giving kids stuff, so he would give away coins, not like that. <laughs> Sorry, I listeners, I pulled a face. I was like, oh, this is a bit touchy, touchy. You know what? My wording, my wording is not great. <laughs> Nick, he's really into giving things to kids. Don't take, don't take the things from Nick, kids. Listen. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. That is terrible. <laughs> I'm a really bad person. Um, not as bad as Nick, by the sounds of it. He's a nice guy. Apparently he was a nice guy. We're going to go with that, although he was a part of the Christian church, so we won't say too much more. He was giving away money, and I don't think there was oh my anything God, I else love involved. Nick. Yeah. I love he was Nick. just he throwing out money. money. I would like some money. Exactly. See, you know, that that I can get behind. So that was St. Nicholas, 4th century, bishop in Turkey, and a Christian bishop. But this was, you know, a long time back, and since then that area is obviously not, like, Christian so much anymore and yet they still celebrate that saint so that's kind of nice it's sort of lasted and it's like come forward i do believe it was turkey i'm gonna feel terrible if that's wrong we'll find out later don't at me at um, her, i've got a lot her. of get notes it, here get handwriting's not good <laughs> don't get me <laughs> um the other figure that has melded into being a part of santa claus is Santa Claus, who was basically oh, yeah. a duck yeah a dutch figure and that's kind of how we got santa claus Santa Claus. Um, but yeah, he was. So you say that again. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. He'd be getting out that. So <laughs> he was again a bishop as well. Like he was this kind of Christian figure from that time, and he had kind of become associated with gift giving, and you know, particularly giving gifts to children and stuff like that. So it kind of melded a lot because um, you know the Dutch uh, Santa Claus and then Odin that was quite nearby in Europe, and those two things kind of melded in a lot of the traditions where they would sort of think of the two together. You would hear stories that combined elements of both of those histories, which is how we wound up in the 1800s getting the night before Christmas. So that is the first time that we had an established mythology for Santa in the way that we think of him now, um, which is obviously that dude who's like out there on a sleigh with reindeer and he goes down the chimney. Yeah, All that stuff was not like from... Yeah. So it has little chunks and pieces, like you say, that's inspired, like the things like with Odin flying through the sky, the eight legged horse. But it is um, a result of the night before Christmas, which was written by Clement Clark Moore in 1822 in New York. And just so that for was anybody where we got that from. And you can might see. not know the night before Christmas is the little the short story. Is it, would you call it a short story or more of a 
It's, not it's really a, a poem. poem. It was the night before Christmas and all through the house. No one was stirring, not even a mouse or something like that. That's the one. I used to love that when I was little. Mum used to oh, read it too. I'm sure she did. I'm probably making this up now. It's probably like a memory that never happened and I it's just wish it did. <laughs> it's from a movie. I was a little boy and like, I was sitting in my bed, like, like listening. My mum would come and she'd read the story. It was the night before Christmas. No, I know she did this. I'm not making it up. She did it. <laughs> Then there was also just while we're talking personal stories, this one time when we were kids and we lived in WA and I'm pretty sure mom and dad just wanted to drink wine and have us in bed. And it was Christmas Eve. Dad went outside and mom was putting me and my sister to bed and she's tucking me in nice and tight. And then she's like, you got to go to sleep. Otherwise Santa's not going to come. And then I heard bells jingling and I was like, oh, Santa's coming. And mom was like, quick, you've got to go to sleep now. So I was like trying to rush myself to sleep. And then, you know, it was dad outside, outside the bedroom. That is so amazing. My folks used to do that too. So they used to, um, they would like try and get us to go to sleep. And then, you know, we would read stories and stuff before bed at Christmas time. But also dad used to go up onto the roof and stomp around and shake bells so that we thought Santa had arrived on his sleigh and we would go straight to sleep. It was the most adorable oh, thing. I remember, what a magical Now we're moment. just getting down personal stories as an adult. In the place I used to live, we were on the ground floor unit and we had a next door neighbor and there was people upstairs. And one Christmas morning, uh, you know, I'm 24 or something, and I wake up and there's a bottle of wine by my front door on Christmas morning and somebody had put boots on and, like, put icing sugar or, or flour on the floor and left two, like, big man footprints in there. It was the cutest. It was my neighbor, but so lovely. That's so beautiful. Christmas brings out the like best. That. Yes, the night before Christmas, that's where we got those original, like that was um, back in 1822 in New York, and it was where he came up with the kind of mischievous elf, like that's what Santa was when he first wrote that. That's he right, because out- he wasn't a big jolly fat man. He was a little mischievous no, not elf. Yet. He was a little mischievous elf in that first incarnation. And he had a sleigh and he had reindeer and he was wearing American fur, and that was where... The, those things originally came from him coming down the chimney and stuff. All of that was from the nightmare before the nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great film. Um, but but yeah. also Christmas is creepy, like an old fat man coming down your chimney. It's, it's associated with a lot of ghosts. Christmas has actually like got a very dark history in that respect. And interesting fact, I found this when I was doing some other research on traditions. In the Ukraine, their tradition is not to decorate the Christmas tree with baubles and things and lights, but instead with spiders and spiderwebs because there is a story about a poor mother who couldn't afford to decorate a Christmas tree and in the morning she wakes up and discovers that the spiders have decorated it for her and it's all sparkling and pretty with the spiderwebs. So some okay, creepy you stuff. Tur- you really turned that around for me. I was out and then you brought me back in at the end with the sparkly because of the spiderwebs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was out. I'm not going to the UK, UK, Ukraine for Christmas. Ukraine anytime soon, no. No, thank you. So, yeah, we had the night before Christmas that brought those traditions in in about 1822. And like you said, he was an elf and not a jolly old fat man, but he became a tall, jolly old fat man. As we all do. The, uh, as, well, that just happens. But there, it was Thomas Nast who was an illustrator and he was um, contracted to start creating some illustrations for Harper's Weekly. And that was how... We started to get the naughty and niceless came from that living at the North Pole, being like a big jolly old fat man. 
all those little things that we associate with Santa Claus came from his illustrations and he did them year in, year out. He was also a New Yorker. So another kind of tradition that came from, yeah, that part of America. New York is so, for, you know, a westernized Christmas image, you think New York. You've got the Rockefeller Christmas tree. You've got cold, snowy, just amazingness. I want to go there, please, for Christmas. Let's go. All right, let's do it sometime. I love that idea. But, I mean, did you know that Christmas had actually been outlawed both in America and in England at one point? Yeah, because of it was because everybody's drunk and gambling and yelling at each other. And what was, well, that, yeah, this is- <laughs> what was that tradition that they had? Was it in England where you were homeless and you could, like, knock on the rich people's door and go, let me in, I want all your good shit? Yeah, basically. I mean, that was... <laughs> That was like the Lord of Misrule thing, kind of. They would pick, you know, a pauper or a servant to be the Lord of Misrule and he would decide things. But it was in Saturnalia, which had kind of grown and lived in the the other parts of Europe as well, where you could just, if you were someone poor, the whole social structure got turned on its head. You became the one in charge. You could just demand your way in and they had to give you all the best things. And I think it happened with caroling and wassailing as well. You were kind of required to if you... If you went to someone's door and you sang to them, they had to give you stuff, including the wassailing bowl, which was like this communal bowl of, um, you know, bees. spiced rum that they would pass around and mead. Bees. No, they were a, giving them bees. Sick keys. It's not the 70s. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. It's taken a turn, guys. It's taken a turn. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about a wholesome Christmas celebration here where you get to demand things from people, get drunk and have sex in the streets. God damn it. No keys. <laughs> no keys. Gosh. Wouldn't have been out of place at that particular sort of Christmas back then, though. That that makes sense. Oh, did everyone but, have cards? Yeah. Or, yeah, like, I don't know. There's um, that. That did, well, you would just, you know, keys to your horse. <laughs> I apologize, oh. listeners. We, <laughs> we're going down a hole. <laughs> yes, the quality is deteriorating rapidly. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, okay, so... Where are we? So uh, Christmas was outlawed. This is an interesting one. So we have talked about how we got Christmas as it is. We talked about the way back. But in that in-between time where Christianity spread across Europe, the Germans and the nomadic people and the Norse people, they were still celebrating, you know, Yule and the Christmas like winter feast festival. And the Saturnalia was still being celebrated by Rome and other parts of Europe. So they were trying to outlaw that sort of celebration and the Christmas type celebrations because those were, yeah, they were basically not Christian and they didn't like it because they had their own stuff that they were doing and their big celebration was mostly in Easter and the, you know, rising of the sun and all that kind of stuff. So that was their thing. And they were like, we don't want you guys celebrating Christmas. It's super, you know, sectional and like not okay. We're not into it. So they actually, when the Puritans took over, when Oliver Cromwell was in charge in England in the 1600s, it was 1652. He actually outlawed Christmas. So it was like completely outlawed to celebrate Christmas. Christmas decorations were not allowed. Shops had to stay open. Churches had to stay closed. Very humbug. Full humbug. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And in America, they tried to do the same thing. Uh, in Boston, they outlawed Christmas, and, they, and this is in 1659. And if anyone was caught with the Christmas spirit, they were fined five shillings. Now, how you decide <laughs> who's acting Christmassy? <laughs> I'm sorry, know. Miss. Wipe that smile off your happy, face. You five shillings. You're not allowed to be happy this time of year. It's cold. That's amazing, isn't it? Like, isn't that oh, just dear. the best thing? How on earth can you find people for being happy? The Puritans, right? <laughs> Those bloody Puritans. <laughs> oh, you gotta love it. Oh, but yeah, that didn't last long. It was, um, you know, only a few years later that they actually pushed for the monarchy to come back in. And with the oh, return of the right. monarchy... They were like, either he comes or there'll be trouble. Yeah, that's it. They they were like, get out of here. We don't like this. We want the monarchy back because the monarchy was associated with Christmas as well because they brought, there was such a mix of German, you know, in the monarchy that they brought a lot of the Yule Christmas stuff with them. And it was actually a result of in the 1840s, they had a German prince marry um, into the royal family, and that was what brought Christmas trees to England prior to That's that. That's right, because they, they were photographed with a Christmas tree. The queen was yeah. it, it, Victoria, right? Was it Victoria? I think it yeah, was Victoria. I think it was Victoria. Um, and yeah. her husband, Mr. Victoria, and they, he had his family oh. traditions <laughs> with the tree. <laughs> I know. And then suddenly it takes off in America and there's just Christmas trees everywhere and it just becomes <gasps> a very quickly accepted part of it. Yeah. But while we're talking about that picture, I also read that that picture was reproduced or republished in America and they did things like removed his, they like back in the day, Photoshop, however that worked, but they removed his moustache to try and make them look more, like, <laughs> to try and make them look terrible. more American. have Americans don't have mustaches. <laughs> what is this? What sort of world is this where facial hair is not allowed? I'm, I'm you know, what the hell, man? I know. Damn America. Um, now, can but, yeah. we talk a little bit about caroling? Mostly yes. because I have a fun caroling story that I'll tell. Where oh, does- I'd love to hear your caroling story. Okay, so the other day we were talking, Benny and I were talking about, we were, oh, actually we were watching a Christmas movie. It was like a B grade one with Fran Drescher. It was really cool and it was queer and fun. And she takes everybody caroling. And Benny's like, have you ever had experience with carolers? And I'm like, actually once, yes. 
when I lived in England, we were at my Nana's house and we were staying with her and we were doing like a big family Christmas. Everyone was there and it was really festive. And then there's a knock on the door and the carolers are singing. And my little old Irish Nana opens the door and tells them to feck off. And then the caroling stops. Oh my God. She's like, we're trying to have dinner. Oh, Nana. That's amazing. And good for you, Nana. You do realize that's probably because you're supposed to like feed them and give them money. Yeah. (laughs) She's she's a tight old Irish lady. She's not going to want to give them any money or any food. It's like not, none of that. None of that, mate. (laughs) I've just done that too. She's not a fan of trick-or-treaters either. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, I have a caroling story for you. I used to go caroling with my siblings. Good thing you didn't go to my nana's house. I know. um, People didn't really like it. Uh, I remember (laughs) being given some coins. No, We didn't think that we were going to get anything for caroling. We just thought caroling was something that you did, and we decided we were going caroling. And um, we worked out a whole routine with dance moves. Not joking. (sighs) So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my elder sister and her friend who hung out with us all the time she lived down the street would be in the front and then my older brother and myself would be behind them and we would pop out at different parts of songs thing like the yeah the backup parts so people didn't know what to it. do with us I think we were given like a chocolate here and there and like a couple of coins and people would sort of like what is this we grew up in an area where half the housing was housing commission and these were the houses we were going to. And I think they were like, what the fuck is this wholesome weirdness doing on our steps? Why has it got a routine? <laughs> oh, so yeah. <laughs> oh dear. I can just picture a tiny you. Back to Christmas. Have, yeah. it, New York. Hey. New York made Christmas Christmas. They also know how to make yeah. coffee. Yeah. So they definitely contributed a lot to how Christmas turned out. And then, like, the next thing that has had a really big impact on what we see as the modern Christmas is A Christmas Carol by Dickens. The history of that's really fascinating. And it's actually quite ironic because there is such a glut of spending on things that we don't need that encourages spending kind of without thought and spending on brands and from places that are not very ethical that might have child labor because the whole reason he wrote A Christmas Carol was in response to a story about child labor that had come out. And he was really concerned about the state of society and the way that they had a growing poor in England and the middle class was forcing more people who were poor further down the ladder, meaning that, you know, they were not able to afford basic things that they needed. There was less of a cottage industry. They were moving towards the industrial revolution all of these things contributed to it. So it's actually really ironic that one of the most famous Christmas movies that we still watch today, we don't understand that so much of what has been put together by that. I mean, it's addressed more to the employers in that and to the people higher up who had the power to change the experience of the working class. But now the power to change that experience is within all consumers' hands as a result of fast fashion. So it's actually a really interesting kind of parallel between the two times. Wowza. That's like your mic drop moment. I like that. Yeah, no, it's, it is funny because we, you know, we do still spend ridiculously. Like we were at the shops today and I think the older I get, the more when it comes to, to getting people gifts for Christmas, uh, I'm less likely to go and buy you a whole bunch of crap, more likely to actually 
ask around and see what you actually want or need. And so, you know, I can safely say my gift giving in the past 10 years has gone from ridiculous amounts of shit that people don't need, but it's just fun and frivolous to, you know, okay, you need this or you can't afford this. So I'll buy this for you. And, you know, it's, and that to me, as somebody who is giving gifts is much more rewarding because, Mm. you know, it's like today, I was buying a fragrance for my sister. Spoiler alert, Kim, you're getting a fragrance. And then the woman was like, who's all this for? And I was like, oh, it's just for my sister. And she was like, oh, that's lovely. She's going to be so spoiled. And I was like, actually, she just, she told me that she wanted it. So getting her something she wants, as yeah. opposed to just spending ridiculous amounts of money on everyone. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, I, I do have to say, I am someone who gets a little bit too carried away with Christmas. <laughs> I love it. I love buying people things. I'm a really good gift giver. So I'm really good at picking things for people. And I love to win at doing that. I really love for people to open it and be like, wow, that's a great gift. So I'm a little bit that way, but I try to give more experienced gifts. And if I'm buying a physical gift, I buy ethical if I can, or, you know, as ethical as you can get or secondhand, or I just sort of, um, yeah, I like plan something out and get something I know that they need and will use. So I try to be a little bit more ethical about that. I'm actually going to be doing a whole episode on Make a Ten Tracer Story about a green Christmas, and that's going to include more ethical giving and all that kind of stuff. But it is hard to do, and I am definitely one of those people who gets a little bit too generous over Christmas. And I'm like, I have to make things for people, and everyone needs consumable chocolates and drinks as well as a physical gift or a, you know, experience gift. Like I like to have that three-part combo to a gift where it's not just one thing it's like that with your favorite you know drink and your favorite chocolates so So guys now you know why i keep her around Uh, (laughs) that's right i am not sending you gifts this christmas and i'm very sorry that's okay we're not sending you gifts either we're sending you love and well wishes oh i feel it but yes so the um history of christmas carol was interesting because he wrote it and the original thing he set out to write in that autumn of 1843 was actually based on this story he had read about child labor that the um this journalist friend of his had interviewed a bunch of different children who were working in these factories and they're working 16 hour days and it was you know because there were no cottage industries anymore and the burst of the industrial revolution had meant they had to move closer into the cities to get work and then you know they had to help support their families because their parents weren't making as much because it was the death of the artisan during that period too. So smaller cottage stuff was not being done. And we've had a revival of that in more recent years, but it was a really rough time when the industrial revolution took off in the 1840s. And when he read that, he decided he wanted to write this treatise about, you know, the position of wealth and our obligation if we were, you know, well off to the lower classes, because this kind of attitude towards the poor had arisen over the past few years that he had seen where they were basically like the rich people were basically like, oh, the poor are useless and they don't know what they're doing and workers are workers and they're worth what they can do in the hour for you. And that's all they're worth. They're worth a penny to me. It was that kind of attitude. It was a dehumanization of the workers and it really worried him. So he wrote um, something that was originally going to be called an appeal to the people of England on behalf of the poor man's child. And then he realized that he would be better off instead of writing this academic piece to create a story that would inspire emotion and encourage them to think differently about it. And that was to target people like Scrooge 
who were the middle class, they had some money and they were better off than most people, but they were not rich, rich, and they were not poor, poor. They were in between, but they made decisions that affected the very poor because they were employers for them. And his whole plan was to inspire this kind of Christmas spirit and to show the error of your ways if you only think about wealth and if you dehumanize your workforce and the kind of incentive to change comes from that sort of, you know, harrowing future that Scrooge has in the book. And when he does change and when he gives that raise to his employee, it means that he can then like survive and Tiny Tim is going to live because they can afford the money to look after him. So, yeah. There you go. Tiny Tim. Tiny Tiny Tim. Tim. That was very interesting and very impassioned and empowered. I feel like you could talk about that till the cows come home. Well, I think it's a really interesting point, like especially when we sort of exist now, like we said at the start of that, in this time of, you know, frivolous spending, things like the Black Friday rushes, which happened since 2005, and people have been trampled in stampedes. Oh, my God, people die. I mean, I'm sorry. I know. It's not worth it. I'm not going to die at Walmart. No, it's wrong with people, hey? It's really, really strange. And it's encouraged by a culture of hyper-consumerism and lack of care and lack of interest in the working class and what this does to them by participating in it and how that goes forward. So I just think it's especially relevant now. Yeah. I've worked in retail for the past however many years, and it's been really interesting to watch Black Friday grow and grow and grow. Every year it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's not even, you know, it's not even something that we've ever really done in Australia. It's an American thing. It's the sales after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thanksgiving. How can we have this holiday that has nothing to do with us? We don't even have the large department stores that they do. But the online sales has meant that it is seeped into Australian culture now. Yeah, but what's crazy about it is that it goes from being Black Friday and then it's Black Friday to Cyber Monday, and then that seems to be your sale period. And then you have other retailers, like I think like Harvey Norman and places like that, that are doing Black Friday for the whole month of November. Like it's clearly big wigs out there in retail just going, ha you suckers are going to go out and spend money while we're going to make the most of that. Yeah. Big business is no. to blame. That's what I say. Now, back to more festive things. Let's talk about Mr. Claus, Mr. Santa Claus, Mr. Claus, Mr. Santa Claus. We know him as the jolly fat man. Sorry, the jolly larger man who wears red and no ho ho hoes. <laughs> no, no fat shaming. You are working it, Daddy Claus. I'm into it. Mm-hmm. So he actually. Yeah. That, in that movie, The Christmas Chronicles, isn't he just working it, though? Oh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Oh. Stop it. And Goldie Hawn. Oh, Hello. that is the thirstiest Santa I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get any. Somebody, somebody, somebody get that girl a fan. She, she needs to cool down. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've lo- now I'm just thinking about Kurt Russell as Santa with his big beard and his beautiful gray hair. Um, okay, so whew, Santa was not always... The man we know now we do we did talk about him being a mischievous little elf but he was commercialized by someone we all know yeah, that's right he was commercialized and it's fascinating because the the commercialization of santa starts early it's about the 1850s and american department stores see an opportunity 
to push the association of purchasing and gift giving and, you know, overspending with Santa because he's the one who gives the gifts. And they realized getting fake Santas in their store would make all the difference to how much people were spending. So they started having fake Santa Clauses in department stores in America in the 1850s. And I was surprised it was so early on in the piece. Like, that's shocking to me. I thought it was much later. Well, I mean, it just shows again, like, the people who are in charge of the big retail go, ah, okay, well, this is going to get people in the shops. This is going to get, you know, their money out of their pockets and into ours. It's almost insulting that they use the image of Christmas, which is, you know, this, I guess the spirit of Christmas, which is Santa, which is, you know, gift giving to the kids things that they want, things that they need. And they've taken that wholesome image and and bastardized it and turned it into this ridiculously over-commercialized Santa Claus. I know in England, when I lived in England, nobody, like, you you know, it was never Christmas until you saw the Coca-Cola ads come on with Santa looking, you know, with his rosy cheeks and his little red nose and his big belly and the Coca-Cola trucks, which are all lit up, driving through the snow, like that was perfect marketing. Let's just let's just say that everybody's like, oh, I've seen the I've seen the Christmas ads. I can make sure I can get all my Christmas shopping done now. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because that imagery that we have of him like that, like we were talking about before, there was obviously the guy in the 1800s, uh, Thomas Nast, who was that illustrator who brought a little bit more of the traditional idea of Santa forward and brought together some of those things like making him the fat jolly man and doing the naughty or nice list, the North Pole stuff. But the actual visual that I hold of Santa now that you would hold with the rosy cheeks, the button nose, the big white beard, that particular style of Santa suit with the first, that was Coca-Cola. Like without Coca-Cola, we wouldn't have the view of Santa that we have now. And the artist who made that, he was an illustrator who was commissioned in 1931. His name was Hayden Sundbloom. And he was commissioned to paint Santa for their ad. And that was how we wound up. I actually thought for a long time Santa wasn't wearing the red suit until then, but I did find out that he was wearing red and a lot of other things. But there used to be a mixture of Santas with a red suit, Santas with a blue suit, Santas with a green suit. After Coca-Cola did the red suit Santa, that was all you saw. Like that's what we've known him to be ever since. There you go. And he's still jolly though. He's very jolly, you know. He's got that kind of vibe happening and it's really cute. Like it's a beautiful depiction. That particular period of artwork is really classic. It's really lovely. You know, it's got that kind of luminescence to it, the style that he painted it in. It's just really classic. So he's been in the ads since the 1920s, but it was the 1931 ad that they really kind of had this perfect depiction of Santa that's carried forward since then. And it's just so strange that Santa (laughs) is like associated with Coca-Cola. That's like really, really odd when you think about it. If there was ever a big beacon for the commercialization of Christmas, it was that. It was that moment in time, the 1930s. And from about the 50s forward, there was no more revelry. Like most of Christmas after that was very family focused. And it was the result of that focus on consumerism, the nuclear family, um, you know, the new America. It just changed the whole kind of vibe of Christmas. And we went from what started as Saturnalia as this kind of revelry and drunkenness and sex party in the street, my friend, <laughs> or what was the midwinter festival with Yule, where they were like, it is freezing, huddle inside. There are ghosts out there 
to being this like American, oh, we're going to roast some chestnuts by the fire and listen to Bing Crosby. It's the 1950s. <laughs> I mean, is it really Christmas without Bing Crosby on the radio? It's not. Like, I, I love it, you know? And Although now it's it. Michael Bublé and Mariah Carey. And I love this thing that the two of them have. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, it's Michael Bublé coming out of his cave because it's December. And <laughs> Mariah Carey, like getting a new Christmas special with Mariah Carey every year. And now she's like the Christmas queen. And, you know, I think you have to embrace it when you become associated with something like that. Because there's a certain amount of cheese. And it's something that a lot of people who are quote unquote serious musicians won't do. They won't do a Christmas album for fear that it will make them appear less serious in the eyes of the public. And so I feel like it can be a turning point where that's kind of it. But something I find really interesting is she and him have had like two or three Christmas albums and it just, I, it, it has zero effect on my point of view of them. And I think it's because they're already a little bit cheesy and fun. I don't know. I mean, I will take it with extra cheese. Thank you. Like that's how I like my Christmas. I'm just loading up on old quirky songs. I've got like a lot of Ella Fitzgerald, Eartha Kit, like, you know, it's just a lot of really fun retro stuff on my playlist. So, Rochelle, what is your Christmas looking like this year? Are you sticking to traditions? You're obviously down at uh, in Tasmania now, so maybe creating some new traditions. Yeah, we'll be having some new traditions. I mean, I have visited my parents before at Christmas, and it's really nice because it usually stays sort of like, 15 to 20 degrees down here during the day so it's pretty chill and that sounds like really cold compared to Brisbane and the Gold Coast but I think it'll be nice to be somewhere a little bit cooler and what my folks and I usually do is pretty quiet but I've kind of exploded all Christmassy on them this year so I've decorated the banister down the stairs into the living room I've made several little Christmassy spots I decorated the mantle um, you know, I did all this stuff and then I'm also making uh, some bonbons from scratch and I bought stuff to go in those and I've made some Christmas cards and I've obviously gotten everyone Christmas presents and I've just been practice baking different things. So on Christmas Day, unfortunately, I won't have Daniel here. So that's going to mm-hmm. kind of suck. He's actually, he's living over in Launceston and he's found out that he's got to work Christmas Eve, be on call Christmas Day, work Boxing Day, work New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. It's just a bit like, oh, okay, so we're not going to have much time for holidays. But he's got a couple of days off just before Christmas, like 20th and 21st. And I thought that's, you know, the solstice anyway. We'll have an early Christmas with him then. Um, I think it's really sad that you're not going to be able to be with Daniel on Christmas. But I think as well, like just, you know, wrapping up the episode, it's a really good reminder that the holidays are not always the safest place for for people's mental health depending on on different situations so you know for Daniel it'll be his first Christmas away from you in a long time a first Christmas away from his family and I guess it's just a healthy reminder that there are people in our lives who might find the holidays difficult and always make sure that we should check in on them people you know, like Daniel, like myself, who'll be working all over most of the holidays. Not everybody gets that, you know, two week break. Just remember, folks, check in on your people and uh, make sure you ask how they are because the holidays can sometimes be a tough time. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, I think we need to go and have more to drink. 
All right. Sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> well, guys, that's a wrap on our Christmas special for this year. But stay tuned as there are still two more episodes coming this December to round out your 2021. To follow Rochelle and to catch her podcast's Christmas content, head on over to your favorite podcast provider and search May Contain Traces of Soy or click any of the links which I've put in the episode's description for you. On another note, I know that you guys know that I like to keep it honest and real around here and I will say this. This year has been a very difficult and challenging one for me and my family. The week this episode was recorded, I wasn't really feeling very festive or very positive at all. I was feeling a little bit beaten down and tired, as most of us can during this time of year, and I wanted to say a big thank you to you guys for your continuing support and continuing to listen to the show. I honestly really do appreciate you all, so thank you. And to Rochelle, a massive thank you for being so gracious and so supportive and for helping me get my groove back for this special episode. If you or someone you know might be doing it tough this Christmas, remember to check in with them and with yourself and that it's okay to not be okay. I've also put some links to some great helplines and charities in the show notes for you or anyone who might need support during this holiday season. But for now, thank you for tuning in and sticking around throughout 2021. Stay safe, look after each other, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and I'll see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.